This is an over the river and through the woods kind of season, isn't it? What a beautiful time it is, these ideas of gathering with family and friends and just the celebrations of Thanksgiving all around. And I have to admit to you that my cup runneth over this morning. Oh, how glorious it is to hear bells in this place. Do you agree with me? Yes, what a wonderful thing. Some of you will be aware that, that our handbells had been laid to rest a few years back. Um, and they have been resurrected through the work of this group that has been uh, so attentive to, to get them out and get them ready and then to share their music again. Um, just, just a word to Sandy McDonald especially for helping with this process. She has been so, so wonderful to just see um, the need and also the opportunity for us to allow them to become a part of the life of the church again. I'll tell you that during the 845 service, the time of greeting, I went up to, to Sandy and I said, the peace of the Lord be with you. And, it said, and she said, it better be. <laughs> so, but it, it has been wonderful to have the, the bells here and a part of, this, a part of this service. My cup runneth over. And this altar this morning, have you ever seen a cornucopia that big? It is glorious. It is uh, such a celebration of all things that God has given to us and made available for we who are fed by his love. And one other thing, just so that you know, you would not be aware of this, but that hymn that we uh, just finished singing, uh, I have not sung it in this spot. Now thank we all our God, I have not sung it in this spot for 33 years. Now some of you may be aware that Sue and I were married here. 33 years ago, and that hymn was one of the hymns that we sang during our service of worship that we called a wedding. <laughs> what a glorious thing. My cup runneth over. You may know that this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, but did you also know that this is the last Sunday of the year. Now, you may be trying to calculate that in your mind because you have been counting up to the last, how many shopping days till Christmas, perhaps, or how many days until New Year's Day. But this is the last Sunday of the year on the Christian calendar. Next Sunday, we pick up the song of preparation as we enter into the season of Advent and we'll be lighting Advent candles and uh, celebrating with that season. But this is the final Sunday of the Christian year. And in fact, it was aptly named Christ the King Sunday. I thought to myself, this must have always been Christ the King Sunday. And as I was doing a little bit of Google research to find out about what the meaning of this precious Sunday is I discovered it hasn't been Christ the King Sunday for a hundred years yet even. It was in 1925 that Pope Pius XI put his stamp on this day and called it Christ the King Sunday because as he said, he said, 
The world is becoming far too secular. We are forgetting who's in charge. This is Christ the King Sunday. And don't you know it? In fact, every day is Christ the King Day. Christ is in charge of all and in all and through all. But this is Christ the King Sunday. This day which we claim along with all the others that he is our Lord and our Savior. I saw a billboard over near Macon. I was rolling down highway, not 41, by the way. It was I-75, which is quite a different feel than Highway 41. But I looked up and I saw this billboard which had a simple message. It just simply said, God allows U-turns. There was nothing else on it. That was it. God allows U-turns. Now I've seen lots of other billboards put up by churches who had good meaning hearts, but after I drove past them, I felt so condemned and I felt also so concerned for others who might see this and feel so guilty for choices, bad choices perhaps that they have made, but choices that would lead them into God-awful situations, you know, in the future. But this billboard had nothing of that in it. It was this message of hope. It simply said, God allows you turns. Now that's better than even the state of Georgia allows. You don't do any UEs here. This is, this is incredible news that God allows U-turns. He allows for us to head in exactly the opposite direction that we may have intended at first to be going. All of these patterns and rules in our lives claim us. They say train up a child. And yes, if you do, the child may go in the way that you intend or may not go in the way that you intend, but a pattern is in the process of developing. In fact, patterns develop long beyond our childhoods. The parents that we have for good or evil set those patterns in motion but then we begin to realize that our friends also have an effect on the patterns that are a part of our lives. People that we may have chosen to be around or people that may have chosen to be around us have this unbelievable ability to set us in this role or in this pattern of living and we journey down that path. And it claims us. And as we become adults, we make decisions, again for good or ill, that set us on a path that we stay on all of our days. And yet Paul knew that there was a different story that was at work in his life. You know, don't you? That he was this wonderful, wonderful child of the temple whose life had been offered up to God at an early age and he became this wonderful 
image of what it meant to be Jewish. In fact, he became so Jewish, he outdid the best of the Jewish people in being Jewish. He took it upon himself to chase down all that opposition that was out there that were calling themselves faithful. You remember the story is that, that Paul chased down the early Christians, this faith group that was adjusting the story in ways that Paul did not seem to think at all were appropriate. And it was on one of those occasions that he was on the road to Damascus and he was struck down. In fact, it says in the scripture that he was blinded by the light. And yet there was something unusual that was going on because over the course of the next few days, there was this brilliance of vision that was occurring within him unlike any other way that he had been able to see. God was in the process of taking him on an unbelievable U-turn, a direction that he never would have expected or chosen on his own. The story in the scripture today that has been read is plucked from the story about Paul and Silas as they have been on a trip to this early community of potential Christian believers. Paul had a vision, and in the vision he simply saw a man who said to him, come to Macedonia and help us. That's all. We don't know anything more about the man. It was just his place in this vision, and Paul saw him. And so he got up, and he went in the direction of Philippi, which was the principal city. There on the edge, the northern edge of the Aegean Sea. He made a beeline toward Philippi. He and Silas, when they got to this town, began to preach with all their hearts to share the message of Jesus Christ that had been given to them. There in town, there was a young slave girl who had become a prophetess of sorts, perhaps a reader of hands. We don't know what her role entirely was, but she certainly could tell the futures of those that were around them. And don't people want to know what the future is going to be? In fact, her owners had set it up so that she was of some renown in the community. And they were profiting from her labors. As she would tell people their fortunes, she of course had to exact a price. And in the process, that money went to her owners. When Paul and Silas came into town, she was amused by what they were saying. And in fact, took it on as her role to introduce them to the community. When they would stand up, she would stand up and she would say, Hallelujah! Amen! Used to be the Methodists had Amen Corners. They don't have Amen Corners anymore around here, do we? Amen. All right, Lamar, I was just hoping. We got an Amen Corner. Anybody wants to join it? You can come right over here by Lamar. Amen. <laughs> she was 
said, amen, kind of lady. And she would stand every time, every time that Paul and Silas would stand up to tell of the good that God had done by sending Jesus Christ. She would precede them by saying, these men have an important message that you've got to hear. They didn't need her accolades. They didn't need her introduction. In fact, this began to wear on Paul to no end. And in fact, he looked at her and he bid the spirit within her to be gone, to come out of her. It's interesting that that's exactly what happened. I don't know. But I suppose that people came to her the days following that and they would put out their hands and they would say, give me my fortune, read my hand. And she looked and she would say, well, it used to be so clear to me and I could tell you what you were headed into, but it's a puzzle. I don't understand what these lines mean anymore. And people threw up their hands and they were done with her. Don't you imagine that her owners became infuriated as they realized that their lives were going down the drain then because their great prophetess was of no profit for them any longer. They riled up the community. It says this in the verse just before those that were read today. These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. They rallied the troops. It's all kind of damage that can be done if you rally people around. And so Paul and Silas were thrown into the jail. And not only were they thrown into the jail, but they were abused mercilessly. It was just the way of the Roman government, which was so different than the way of Christ. You know, the church was called the way. Paul and Silas were flogged, severely flogged. This terrible beating. Oh, you and I, it doesn't take but just a little bit to set us off and to get us irritated with life. Come on, admit it to yourself. Just a little ache or pain, a little tiredness gets you going in the wrong direction. All right, let me admit it to you. Yesterday I, <laughs> yesterday I added one job on the other, on the other. We were trying to get the house cleaned up, the yard cleaned up, her family coming in. By the end of the day, I was so tired that I wasn't in the best frame of mind. I got together with Sue for some supper and she said to me, she said, you're not in a very good mood. I didn't say anything. I was not going to make confession. <laughs> I, was, I was not going to make confession, but she saw through to the heart of this man. 
I was not in a very good mood. I, I just wanted to eat and go to bed. I was so tired. I, it only took that to get me in the wrong frame of mind. What does it take to get you in the wrong frame of mind? Does it take a flogging? I bet it's a lot less than a flogging. Let me tell you, friends, a flogging is no minor thing, especially when it came to this being inflicted by the Roman army. It left them battered and bleeding. It's not often that I will mention movies. I fear doing that because as soon as I do it, somebody will go to see the movie and say, well, my preacher advised that we ought to go see this movie. And then they get into the movie and they're saying to themselves, I can't believe my preacher went to see this movie. (laughs) So it's a dangerous thing. But Sue and I went to see a movie this week that was, it, it just continues to haunt me. It's receiving critical acclaim and may walk off with some awards. It's called 12 Years a Slave. I don't know if any of you have seen it yet, but it is such a tragic, tragic story. So honestly depicting the terrible nature of slavery as it was in the history of this nation and particularly in the South. One of the things about this is that these slaves suffered under whip. And you know this. You know this. You've seen pictures of slaves with large keloid scars in patterns across their backs. You've seen this stuff in school. But oh goodness, at the suffering of this being inflicted. Oh, what terrible nightmares are a part of the history that we bear. Here, Paul and Silas are in this prison, but only after they've had the life beaten out of them. What would I do? I would collapse under that kind of pressure. But what do they do? It says in the telling of the story that they spent the night praying and singing songs to God. Oh, how beautiful. There they were. And I I know the song they were singing. It's in the scripture, not in this telling, but I, I just cannot help but believe that the song that Paul and Silas were singing, he wrote back to the church in Philippi. If you look into Philippians chapter 2, you can find the words of this hymn right there where he says, quoting, Let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. You check the small print in your Bible and you'll see that that is quoted as a hymn. Not just words of Paul, but that is quoted as a hymn that was sung in the early church. 
Let me tell you, Paul and Silas were doing the unbelievable thing. In their condition, the prisoners were absolutely astounded that they had the stamina, the physical stamina, to pray and to sing. You think they paid attention? You better believe they paid attention to what was going on. I remember growing up over in Metter. You may know it better as Mayberry. It is a beautiful little community. That's the way I thought of it. At the back of the Methodist church, the Sunday school rooms opened onto an open air walk. And just 10 feet beyond that was the edge of county property where the city jail was housed. You can still go back and see this today. There that city jail stood, two stories, the bottom floor for the sheriff or the offices that were there and the keeper of the jail. And, and then upstairs was this jailed area. The windows had bars on them. Now, as I said, this was a Mayberry sort of place. You could almost expect to see Andy and Barney coming and going. And maybe even Otis. Maybe even Otis coming and going from this jail. It was not the most secure places. I can remember on Sunday mornings that the prisoners would get in conversation with the little kids that were coming to Sunday school. Our Sunday school teachers would shoo us into the room, but... We were fascinated, and if we could catch some moments, we would talk with them. One of the things that I remember was that, that there was a fellow that had a handkerchief, and he had somehow gotten some thread, and he learned that we got snacks in Sunday school. And he would lower this handkerchief down to us on that thread, and he would say, put me a couple of cookies in that thing. And we would go inside and get cookies and put it in that handkerchief. And then he would reel it back up and it would disappear. And he would say, thank you, thank you. It was a Mayberry kind of jail. This was no Mayberry jail that Paul and Silas were in. This was serious business. They knew it and the prisoners that were around them knew it. The jailer knew it. And yet he let the better part or the worst part of his humanity settle in on him. And he fell asleep that night. Fell asleep. Something that would have been reprehensible to the Roman army, if they had found him having fallen asleep, even though everything is locked down, it was his responsibility. He was in charge of the jail. He was not supposed to be asleep. And when that earthquake came, as if things couldn't get worse, when that earthquake came 
and shook the foundation of that prison, that's where God began to work in such unexpected ways. Once again, as he always seems to do, the prison doors were opened. The building didn't fall down. That was a miracle in and of itself. The prison doors were opened and the shackles somehow fell off the arms and the legs of the prisoners. This was an opportunity unlike any had ever expected to encounter. Let me tell you, friends, this was truly a get-out-of-jail-free card. This was incredible. It was an opportunity to take up and run. What else could be read into this? But did Paul and Silas run? No, they didn't. And neither did the rest of the prisoners. Now this earthquake waked up this jailer. And when he waked up, he saw that the doors were open. And he could read the handwriting on the wall right then. He knew that everybody was gone. That's the way it would have to have been. And he knew what his fate would be as well. If you think that the Roman government would treat Paul and Silas the way they did, can you imagine what they would do to a jailer who had let every prisoner free? He knew that he could end up on a cross beside the road. Who knows? He took his sword and was about to end it, being merciful to himself, not wanting to undergo torturous death. And Paul saw what he was about to do and called to him and said, we're all here. And he could not comprehend. We're all here. Paul said, we're all here. Every prisoner still here. And when he came in, this jailer, and witnessed the truth of which Paul and Silas spoke and realized that they were still captivated by the power of these two early missionaries who had been beat near to death and yet still were praying and praising God. He too fell to his knees and said, what can I do? What can I do to be saved? Now this is where the church gets it so wrong. We have a long list of everything that it might require for you to be a member of the church or to really follow Jesus. In fact, we got a four-step plan for you. In fact, if you've got a few problems, we've got a 12-step plan for you. <laughs> no, no. You heard what Paul said, don't you? Didn't you hear it? He had a one-step plan, a one-step plan for this jailer. He simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, what would you do if somebody came up to you and asked, how might I be saved? You'd be thinking to yourself, let me call Billy Graham. <laughs> let me get a reference on this. Let me make it easy for you, friends. It is a one-step process. Believe 
on the Lord Jesus because that changes everything. Say this with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus. It changes everything. Once you get the perspective going, that God allows you terms. You see? Once you get that perspective going, then anything is possible. Let me tell you, with this jailer, when Paul and Silas were taken home by him, it was obvious what was going on here because it says that his whole household was baptized. Let me tell you, they were Methodist. They were Methodist even back then. They were claiming everybody that they could lay their hands on. What a glorious celebration it is to think what God might be doing on any given day. Let me ask you an important question. Can you see God at work? Or have you given up the idea that God is even at work in your life? Have you got such a pattern of living that you have established that you think to yourself, it looks like I'm going to my dying day doing this or that? Or do you believe with Paul that God allows U-turns, not only for individuals, but for whole families? In fact, for society, God allows U-turns. This is a way of opportunity. May we walk the way of Christ.